My name is Logan Dixon, and this is the Monday Morning Megaphone. Hey guys, uh, thanks for tuning in to the Monday Morning Megaphone. Um, Today is the Monday after Ash Wednesday. Now, as I'm recording this right now, it's it's Thursday and the weather is really nice. And, I'm, and I thank God that it's starting to warm up after this uh, terribly rainy and cold season. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you on this beautiful, beautiful day. Just let you know that uh, since it is the Monday after Ash Wednesday, I thought I would post my Ash Wednesday sermon from Mars Hill this last week. Um... I, I did this last year, uh, so if you want to go back and listen to that, you can. Uh, the title of the episode uh, was Ash Wednesday for Monday Morning, and I think I'm going to title it uh, the same thing for this episode. And I'll probably make this a yearly tradition of just posting the uh, Ash Wednesday sermon the following Monday for the podcast. Uh, so I hope you enjoy that, and I, I wish you a blessed Lenten season. As you commit this time to prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and whatever spiritual disciplines you practice, uh, I pray that this Lenten season for you would be a time where you get closer to God and get closer to one another. And uh, use this time to reflect on the gift of salvation that we have in Christ. Thanks, guys. If you have your Bibles this evening, We'll have our final scripture reading of the service. We'll take it from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, and we will read verse 20 into chapter 6, verse 2. When you get to 2 Corinthians 5.20, if you would, stand and we'll read the word of God together. Hear the word of the Lord. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This ends the reading of God's word, the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are here on this Wednesday evening before you to participate in a practice that your people have participated in for years. Lord, we are here on this Wednesday evening to offer up repentance to you, offer up ourselves to you, asking you to forgive us of our sin, asking you to remember our sin no more. And as we do this, God, we 
ask that you would allow us to leave this place comforted by your spirit, comforted by your word, comforted by your grace, knowing that your blood has washed away every sin. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Um, seeing as it is Ash Wednesday, it is not my tradition to preach a very long sermon uh, for Ash Wednesday because it's it's because generally on Sunday morning what we do is the the sermon is generally the highlight of the morning whenever you go to church anywhere. Um, but on Ash Wednesday, the the main event, the culmination, is around the partaking of ashes. It's around this moment where we come together as the family of God in the house of God, proclaiming that we are broken by our sin and that only the grace of God can restore us. And so it's with this in mind that I want us to, to think about Paul's words here in 2 Corinthians 5.20-2.6. through 2, 6. I was looking over the lectionary text to determine what I might speak over this evening, and this text stood out to me as being the, the key as to why we gather here, not just on Ash Wednesday, but every Sunday morning, every Tuesday night, we come together as a family, and we participate in the reconciling work of God that goes throughout the world through the preaching of the gospel. And so what has happened in history is God has stepped down in history in the form of His Son, and His Son Jesus, God's Son, went to the cross... He was held up on a cross. He died there. And God points to His Son and says, This is the way of salvation. This is the way to life. There's no other way but through Jesus. There's no other way but through my Son on the cross. And there are people who will who will hear that offer to life, there are people who will hear that good news, and they will outright reject it. And they will outright walk away from it. And that's why Paul says in verse 20, that we are ambassadors, and it says, though God is pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now let's be careful here when we look at this text. This is one of those passages where we think we know what it's talking about, right? Be reconciled to God. Well, we know what that means, right? We know what Paul is talking about. He's talking about praying the sinner's prayer. He's talking about joining the church. He's talking about being baptized. Is that really what he's talking about? I don't think so. But keep in mind, Paul's already had two interactions with the Corinthian church through, through the exchange of letters. I mentioned last night in Bible study that the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church is lost to history, but we have the second one, and it's listed as 1 Corinthians in our Bibles, and then 2 Corinthians, where we're reading this evening, is technically the third letter that Paul has written to them. Now in 1 Corinthians 1.4, Paul thanks God for the grace that has been given to them in Christ. So, so Paul is acknowledging that his audience is made up of people who have professed faith in Christ. He's acknowledging that his audience is made up of people who are saved, who are born again, who are already reconciled to God. He acknowledges them as believers. So why is he telling them to be reconciled to God? Is there an additional reconciliation that needs to take place? 
I don't think so. I don't believe Paul is talking about reconciliation as a remote act. He's not talking about it as as this one primary event. I think Paul views reconciliation as something that only exists as one point in in, in time for a believer. But But the effect of that moment, the effect of that event goes all throughout time for the believer. That moment that you give yourself over to Christ, that moment that you are connected to faith in God through Christ, that moment changes the rest of your life. I think Paul views reconciliation as something that began in history and has a perpetual effect throughout time. It's something that begins at the cross. It's something that begins at the cross of Christ and it it moves forward. Through history. Reconciliation isn't something that simply begins for you personally when you decide to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Instead, reconciliation for you began at an old rugged cross on a hill called Golgotha that stood just outside Jerusalem. Your reconciliation to God began long before you were ever born. Someone asked Karl Barth when he was saved, and he said that he was saved in 33 AD. Because for Barth, salvation doesn't begin in us. It begins in God. And it's, it begins in God, and, and, and we realize it. We realize the gift of salvation that God has given us in Christ whenever we, whenever, whenever we surrender ourselves to Him. And to make it even better, reconciliation between God and man existed in the mind and in the heart of God the Father long before it was manifested in the body of God the Son on the cross. That's why Paul can say in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 that He, He being God, He chose us in Him, being Christ, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. So think about this. God chose for you to be in Christ long before you could make that decision for yourself. Long before you even wanted to make that decision for yourself. God had mercy on you personally. That's why Paul can say in Romans 5, 8 that while we were sinners. While we were sinners. Christ died for us. So why does Paul tell the Corinthian church to be reconciled to God? He's telling them to live reconciled. Don't just claim reconciliation. Live reconciled. Well, what does that mean for us? It means we need to live in the experience of our salvation. And this isn't something that God makes it impossible for us to do. You see, when when Christ went to the cross, He took our sins with Him to die. And when He rose from the grave, our sins did not rise with Him. So what He was able to do is He was able to separate the sin from the sinner. He was able to put sin in its proper place while at the same time giving new life to the sinner. That's why Paul can say in Romans 3.26 that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is just because He punishes sin by putting it to death. He is justifier because He gives life to the sinner who calls on His name for salvation. 
Man, that's good stuff, and y'all are sitting in here quiet on me, man. G.K. Chesterton, in his classic book, Orthodoxy, he talks about how he was philosophically converted to Christianity, the way he kind of thought through his way into the faith. And he describes, he describes the way in which he thought through the issues of the faith, and this is how he describes the way the world de deals with sin versus the way God deals with sin. He says, a sensible pagan would say that there were some people one could forgive and some one couldn't forgive. A slave who stole wine could be laughed at. A slave who betrayed his benefactor could be killed and cursed even after he was killed. Insofar as the act was pardonable, the man himself was pardonable. That again is rational and even refreshing, but it is, a it is a dilution. It leaves no place for a pure horror of injustice, such as that which is a great beauty in the innocent. And it leaves no place for a mere tenderness for men as men, such as the whole fascination of charitable. Christianity came in as before. It came in startlingly with a sword and clove one thing from another. Here, here's what Chesterton says. Pay attention to this. He says, it divided the crime from the criminal. The criminal we must forgive unto 70 times 7. The crime we must not forgive at all. It was not enough that slaves who stole wine inspired partly anger and partly kindness. We must... Uh, be, we must be much more angry with theft than before, and yet much kinder to thieves than before. There was room for wrath and love to run wild. And the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. And so what's Chesterton saying there? He's saying that when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for sin to be separated from the sinner. He made a way for the crime to be separated from the criminal. And when the crime is separated from the criminal, both wrath and grace can run wild. Christianity is a place where the wrath of God runs wild on sin and the love of God runs wild on sinners. Sinners like you and I are free to abandon our sin and run to God because reconciliation has been accomplished in the work of Christ. So what Paul is saying in essence in our passage is that we need to allow reconciliation to run wild in our lives. Ash Wednesday is a time when we recognize our sin and offer up repentance for it, but we also remember that God by His grace has separated us from it. And it no longer holds dominion over us. We are now free people who live reconciled. And we invite others into that reconciliation. Amen.